0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. And joining me today to discuss Civ Fisted Find from the 1990 album Repeater is Rachel Dietkis, a clinical social worker, as well as a violinist who has lent her talents to various projects over the years, including Braid, the promise ring, very secretary, and more. Uh, Rachel, welcome.
1: Uh, thanks, Ian. Thanks for that welcome. I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm pretty well. Uh, this is the first episode that I'm recording since I returned to uh, my current location in California from a little trip home to the D.C. area, and nice. uh, that was fun. If anyone, if any listeners out there notice my voice sounding a little different, it's because I'm recording today on a microphone that I bought from Donzi and Terra at Inner Ear while I was there. That was pretty cool. Uh, those of you who listened to my last interview with him know that, you know, as he's shutting down things at the current location, he's selling off some of the equipment. And I thought, you know, I just, I have to have a little piece of Inner Ear. And uh, so <laughs> I I bought this. It's a different kind of microphone. He explained to me it's a super cardioid mic, and I have to be really directly in front of it at all times, so... I'm trying it out today, seeing how it works if my mic technique is up to par. And, uh, yeah, if it works, it'll, it'll just be cool to sort of be using a, a little slightly Fugazi-related piece of equipment.
1: Oh, my God, that is so cool. I'm like, I, I, that, that just made my heart race a little bit of <laughs> excitement.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty geeked out about it. It was very cool. It was great <laughs> to go to Inner Ear one last time, and uh, I, I posted a little bit about it on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook group. Uh, lo and behold, guess who was there, Rachel?
1: Who
0: was there? Ian Mackay was there.
1: Oh, uh, did yeah. you talk to him?
0: I, t- I talked to him a little bit. And um, yeah, it was a very cool experience. Uh, he I got to see with my own eyes the master tapes to Margin Walker.
1: <sighs> wow.
0: Yeah, it was real, real geek out stuff for me. So, yeah, thanks to Ian McKay for for that cool little experience. Uh, that aside, <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> Let's talk about Rachel Dietkus. Um you know, I, I really would like to know about my guest's history with Fugazi and how you got into them. Um, maybe the story starts before the band formed, maybe many years after, like like me. But uh, what's your story, Rachel?
1: Mm, so I, I knew this was going to be a question. So of course, I had to give it some some thought. Uh, and, and just also thinking about the, the many different directions that it could go in terms of when was the first time I heard Fugazi? And I really tried to rack my brain and try to pinpoint when was that precise moment when I first heard them, and um, I can't remember with extreme clarity, which is which kind of bums me out in some ways. But I can remember, I definitely remember how I felt at different times when I heard um repeater when i heard steady diet of nothing and on the kill taker those are like have have just been my top three favorite albums and if i had to pick one it would definitely be steady diet of nothing um out of those top three and so i think guys relationship with fugazi i i want to say i probably first heard them it was definitely either in 1990 or 1991. And I would have been a sophomore, junior, um, probably sophomore-ish in high school. Um, like, a, like I've heard from a lot of other guests, um, definitely this, this awakening and, and, and reckoning of, of discovering this band. And it I, I really think the first time I heard a Fugazi song was from a mixtape that someone made for me. And that someone would have most likely been my friend Colin Thorleson, who was a skateboarder and kind of a budding artist at the time, went on to end up doing you know um, different kinds of art and and whatnot. and um, and just wondering like what like what is this? Like like who is this band? Um, but the the song in particular that we're going to talk about later on, i I definitely remember how I felt one of the times I heard that song blasting on a friend's car stereo as we're driving on the way to Chicago to go to some kind of a show. I can't remember what the show was, but the sun was definitely setting and just the, the, the stereo in the car just, just filled all the space. You couldn't, you couldn't talk because we had it just so loud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, just you know, it was, it was back in those days.
0: Yeah. I love memories like that.
1: You know, and, and I, you know, the the funny thing that, you know, you know, re-listening to so much of this music, um, you know, thinking about the podcast, listening to Bob Nana, because Bob, you know, Bob got you and I connected. It just took me into this, this, this time portal of thinking about all the, all the other different kinds of bands that, that we all loved and just admired and wanted to see and, and hope that we would see someday. And some of us, you know, hope that we would play with someday. Um, and you know, for me, I was I was really into um, bands like Susie and the Banshees, yeah. uh, you know, Peter Murphy, um, The Smiths, uh, The Cure. I mean, I was just like a diehard Cure fan, like even dating back to middle school. And so, to to s- kind of stumble upon something like. Fugazi, Jawbox, I mean, it was, it it was really different in many ways, but, but, but evoked so many of the same kinds of emotions that, that music can, can have and can evoke in us. Um, I want to say, and I know another time um, when, when Fugazi was just such a big part of, of my, you know, my you know, young adult life. You know, especially in high school, and then even into those early years of college. I mean, there is, there are, there are direct connections to skateboarding and skate culture and art and creativity that are were so pivotal. And I feel like that's that's sort of that um, that's like the crux of that's how I think of Fugazi. I, I I do not think of Fugazi without thinking about skateboarding and skate culture. Um, they they're just so you know, inextricably linked to in my head. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, <laughs> I have this on, it's like, I have got to mention that um, when my husband first heard um Visted Fine, it was from the 1991 H Street video. And we, we, we could not find the actual clip, but we confirmed with a couple of other friends, like we know that it was when Mike Carroll was skating that that song was playing and the Again, like that, just that that feeling of like, what is this? Like, what is this song that I'm hearing? And 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 just the first minute of that song, which we could spend the next hour just talking about the first minute of the song and, and barely even talk <laughs> about any of the lyrics. I mean, <laughs> so um, yeah, i I'm I'm I think I'm both excited and nervous, so I'm all over the place, like right out the gate. Um, but it's it's kind of that uh, nervous energy that I think. Um Fugazi has has done so well at tapping into so many different people over the years. I mean it's just it's just unbelievable how how that really all came back as if it was 1991 all over again.
0: Yeah, totally. That's that's a kind of energy that I feel pretty frequently doing this podcast. So I'm I'm glad you're bringing it too. You you weren't quite clear. I assume that means you're a skateboarder yourself?
1: You know, I'm not. Um okay. I'm not. I I I I I cannot claim that I was ever a skateboarder. Now, I did work at a skate shop um, way back in the day and it was called uh, Big Wheel. It was in Champaign, Illinois, um you know, right on the right on right near the college campus. Um and I worked there for a few years. Um our our friend uh, JW Martin owned that shop. And before that, it had a horrible name and JW would totally would probably laugh if he heard me talking about this. And it was called grungy it was before that. <laughs> So very indicative of like the time, right um, but that was I mean the we always had music playing inside big wheel so whether it was um de la soul uh, you know fugazi I mean depending on the the whoever was working at the time there was definitely there was always a certain kind of a a, a style that was in the air um which which is something that i I always have i was always fascinated by you know, I can always, I can look back on this with like fondness now, like, cause you know, you have the, the, the advantage of wisdom as you age. Right. You know? yeah. But I, I, I always love this, this interconnection between skateboarding art, um, and music. And it was so apparent in certain, certain elements of skate culture. Like there, you know, there, there are so many different, um, teams and companies, um, you know, even, even back in the day, even back in the nineties, you know, when it was, uh, you know, in a different, um, time period that was around when I was around. And, um, the funny thing about Mike Carroll skating to see, you know, sit Define" fine in the H street video in 91, you know, Mike Carroll goes on to start girl skateboards, which is like one of the just coolest skate companies like ever and it's sort of the sister company to stereo skateboards to chocolate I mean all these teams and all these different skaters who I just who I just thought were were cool I mean and they and they are cool they're like they're they're amazing. they've they've grown up to be like amazing people and like their sense of style was so complementary to music that they would choose in some of these skate videos back then um it's it's just kind of it's just neat to think back on how um artful that intersection was um and just how intentional it was too
0: yeah i we've talked about skateboarding on this podcast before and i guess i've probably mentioned i was never a skateboarder i guess i was kind of a wannabe skateboarder because uh, i always really felt that too that the just a general vibe around skateboarding the music the the sort of just the, the attitude, the look, everything, uh, it was really... It spoke to me uh, in the 90s, and yeah, I, I just sort of wanted to be a part of that world. Um, I just... I never got the actual skateboarding chops down. Well, you, you may not be a skateboarder exactly, but you certainly are a musician. I'm interested in, like, a violinist's perspective on this, because, uh, of course... <laughs> That's not a, a, an instrument that has a lot in common with most of Fugazi's catalog, but, um, <laughs> but did they? Do you think they influenced you as a musician in in a way that you could uh, in a way that you could say?
1: Oh, that's such a that's a that's a good question. A question that I don't think. Well, I know I've never been asked in my life, and may not ever get asked again. Um, <laughs> you know, outside of this podcast, um, I I want to say. You know, in terms of style, uh, you know, I, it's probably easy to say like, yeah, probably not. You know, um, I think I, if I remember correctly, I remember, you know, Bob and our, and all the guys in Braid. So Bob, Todd, Credo, you know, Chris, Roy, Roy was the original drummer in Braid, like good old friend of mine from high school. And <laughs> I think even when I when I played on the first Braid album, I played on a couple of songs you know, like we knew it wasn't going to be some like punk rock violin. It wasn't going to be something that was, you know, just kind of totally ridiculous. It was it was going to be complementary to, um, to you know, the feel of of what it was that I was playing on. Um, and so I think if there's anything that has this linkage to that spirit of of Fugazi, it's 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 just being uniquely you and being authentic and, and what it is that you do. So, um, which I feel like that's something that has, that's a, that's been a current throughout, um, much of my life, even dating back to, um, when I first heard, you know, heard Fugazi, um, uh, you know, just getting into skateboarding as someone who admired the the scene and, and the culture and the vibe of it all. Um, and then just being more deliberate on the different kinds of music that I, that I played as I, as I got older, because, you know, much of my, because I, you know, violin was my primary instrument, I also played cello, played a little bit of viola uh, viola as well, and because of the, um, the, the time when I grew up, the, um, the, the access to music, being able to play music at a, at a younger age, I mean, at this point I can say I've been playing violin for like 35 36 years which sounds incredibly impressive but a lot of kids at least that grew up in the 70s and 80s you know they started playing instruments at around 10 11 years old yeah. um, and so it uh, it was just it was just such a I, I knew I wanted music to remain a a connection point for me. Um, I in high school I never would have I would never would have, you know, that, that I would end up playing in my own band and co-writing, you know, songs myself um, in addition to playing with all these other great bands um, over the years Uh, and then playing live and going on tour. I mean, it just, it, it just seems almost like it didn't happen sometimes, (laughs) sometimes, you know, like when you go years without like, you know, sleeping on someone else's floor, you're like, was that, did I imagine all that? was that, was that real life? Um, and it, but it definitely was, but I think, um, yeah, I think that I just, I think that whole spirit of, of, of just embrace it, embrace it and have fun with it. Um, do with it what you can, um, you know, be compelled to be creative. And then when people react and they, when they respond to it in a way, um, you know, be appreciative of that. I, I feel like those are, those are Kind of probably those undercurrents within Fugazi that that unless you've had some individual one-on-one experience with someone from the band um, or or been able to pick up sort of like that spirit of who they are, just in terms of just you know humans on Earth, um, you might not be able to make that connection of appreciation. You know, so for me, I mean, I I can definitely see some some linkage to the to just Fugazi as as this um, important element in. Just people's lives.
0: Yeah, right on. Let me ask you this. If you could add a violin part to any Fugazi song, what would it be? Ooh.
1: <laughs> Dang. There's a, par- a tiny part of me that wondered if you might ask a question like this. And, then, and so, okay, I think it would be, it would definitely be something from Steady Diet. Yeah. Um, I I, it's just an album that I I'm just it I just remember hearing that album so much I think it'd be I love so many of the songs on that album I think I'm going to go with exit only I think that would be the one that I would try to come up with something.
0: That, for some reason, that's the one that popped into my head when you said uh, Steady Diet of Nothing. I think that would be super interesting. Are you interesting. serious? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It might have been just random. You're you are the violin expert. I just uh, <laughs> just popped in there, I guess. Great. So we're here talking about Civ Fisted Find. As you said, you have the honor of being on for a big one because this is a top 10 song in terms of Fugazi's live career. Um, on my list of their most played songs over the hundreds and hundreds of shows they did, this is number seven. Number seven most played at around 416 times. So, wow!
1: Yeah, so that's it's, amazing.
0: It's a huge one. Uh, a real, you know, a real go-to number. I also have a little bit of a uh, trivia challenge for our listeners out there. This is uh, a song that has a hyphen in the title. It's one of three Fugazi songs that have hyphens in the title, can you name the two other Fugazi songs that have hyphens in them? (laughs) So listeners, go ahead, uh, pause your podcast, rack your brains, and see if you can come up with those uh, answers. If you're back, uh, do you have any idea, Uh, Rachel? Do you want to take this challenge? (sighs) Do you know what one of them is?
1: Dang, I don't. Oh my god, and I really wish I did.
0: I, I feel like I should be collecting little things like this and just make a a huge trivia challenge episode. Um, So the answers for those of you playing at home uh, are break in and "Ex spectator Mm. songs. We've uh, we've covered both of them already. So this is the last one. And and here we bid goodbye to the hyphen titles (laughs) of Fugazi.
1: You'll have to usher in like a, you know, a nice trivia series around what are the, what are the songs that have like, you know the like the pound sign and them because there's quite a few of those. You know, I mean that that would be one that would really trip up some people.
0: Um, well, if I do the there's another um, trivia tidbit here that I I think we should establish right up front, which is you know there are a lot of firsts with Guy, uh in in Fugazi. Right, there's like first song he started singing with them, first start song he started like singing lead. But for Civ Fisted Finds, this is the first song. That he started writing on guitar with the band, um, he mm-hmm. said as much in a uh, Pitchfork interview, and I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. So, yeah, as far as Guy's creative contributions on guitar, this is the first time he, I guess, really got in the driver's seat.
1: And it's so evident. I mean, it, when you really think about it, because I, you know, I, I remember seeing that in Pitchfork, um, you know, a while ago, and then revisiting that, you know, getting ready for the show and. Um, it I feel like you, and you know that. So like when you read that little factoid about, about Guy and this song and his role in the band and how that was shifting, um, and shifting towards just, uh, I think just greater depth in what he was doing and what he was contributing it, um, you can, you feel that right out the gate with this song. I mean, what a, what an amazing song to have as, as that one.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and as you say, right out the gate, I guess we can just jump into talking about the the music of the song, because that's sort of the first thing we get is Guy playing guitar. It sounds like on the recording repeater, what we have is, is two guitars, uh, but I believe this is Guy doubled, uh, because yeah, for people who watch them playing this live, sort of him playing that line in the intro, and then uh, Ian comes in with a sort of chuggy rhythm guitar when Joe comes in. To me that part where Gee comes in with the guitar pretty amazing it sounds like some kind of trumpet fanfare like this da 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 it's like some mm. kind of royal salute you know it just it just grabs you in that way
1: Oh that's funny that's funny that that's um is that what it sort of conjures up for you like when you when you were when you first heard it or when you've been re-listening to it
0: I think it's more of a re-listening thing I just sort of when I sit down and think more mindfully about these songs and what the parts make me think about. Um, yeah. That, that did come to mind. <laughs> like, yeah, you can sort of picture, you know, this medieval scene with, uh, with trumpeters on a parapet of some kinds, you know, those, those long, <laughs> long old style trumpets. <laughs> it's
1: like Hark who goes there. Yeah. yeah. I, it definitely has, it definitely has that, that feeling of, of triumph, but I would also, I think I would add to it that there's something a little, there is something like unsettling about how abruptly it does start. I mean, I've always, I've, I've, I've never felt personally unsettled while hearing it. I mean, I feel like I'm just like goosebumps uh, immediately. Like every time I hear that song and I've listened to it so many times in the past few weeks that I it's, it's, it's funny to think and see what the I was like, Oh, maybe I'll just become a little bit more desensitized to this. The more I listen to it. No, it's like, I've got even more goosebumps every single time. And um, it's, it's just so powerful, but I really think, I feel like the heroes of that song are Brendan and Joe. I mean, it is, I feel like that is the song, at least for me, that, that really made me double down on my love for bass players and drummers and in bands, um, and, and like from from that moment on, it was. A, I feel like anytime I would go to like any live show, like I was just I was affixed to what were what were the drummers and the bassists doing in in these bands because they they just they are the foundation and they they just. I That's what I hear. When I hear that song, I, I mean, I hear all parts of it, and I can dissect it in so many different ways, but what I hear is, is Joe's bass is just so goddamn powerful. I mean, it is, on the recording, it sounds amazing. I actually, I never got to hear that song live. I, I only got to hear or see Fugazi, I think, twice, maybe three times, um, and two times I can definitely remember, but I feel like I saw them a little bit later in the 90s. And, um, but I saw, I never got to see that song live and I was so bummed because I, th- I thought for sure I had seen that song live hmm. and, and and could remember that, um, you know, the, just f- like feeling that baseline, like it just so like deep in your gut. Um, it, to me, I just, I feel like again, like, I feel like that could be, you know, the next 30 minutes could be spent just talking about, um, <laughs> <laughs> those two
0: <laughs> the next 30 minutes could just be spent listening to that riff as far as i'm concerned it's oh you could just...
1: god it's so good <laughs> it's so good
0: i i agree with everything you said but i i think i have to add that like ian as an ingredient in that is so important too because it it's almost um it's almost impossible to disentangle for me listening like what ian is doing with what joe is doing like they're mm. working in concert so well, and Ian's got like such a sort of thick um rhythm sound going on um that i like i'm not sure if you if you were like, "What exactly is the bass playing?" I would be like um i'm not i I just am not sure it, like they're so intertwined, and uh, yeah it's yeah it's like it's the whole is more than the sum of its parts,
1: yeah yeah that's for sure that is for sure yeah you know i i I wonder because here's a here's a question that i that I knew I wanted to ask you, Ian was you know when you go back, when this is sort of so, this is a question for in general, when you're doing the podcast, but also when you're preparing for individual songs that you're going to be talking about, are you finding, are you trying to find like live footage of some of the performances?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: So, the, you know, there were a handful over the past month that I've been able to. You know, to find and there was one that I watched just a few times and it was um it, it had had to have been one of the earlier times when they played this song. Um because it was I, it was either from nineteen ninety 1990 or nineteen ninety one and the footage is is unbelievably like really good and the, the the quality of the video is good. The sound quality is actually really good. Clearly it's been remastered in some level. And uh just seeing um the The person who is doing the recording is clear. Clearly, has Ian right in front of him, oh, yeah. him or her, and uh, and so you can't really you can't really see Brendan. You can't see Joe at all. You have to you see Joe for like a half a second, and then you can see Gee like here and there, and um, and so just having that closeness to his uh, his his style, his seriousness, his um, just dedication to like blasting the sound and they, it was clearly a sound check that they were doing i think in washington um not in washington dc in washington state oh Do you know
0: which one i'm talking about i think <laughs> you're talking about i think this was the international pop underground right yes
1: yes 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 yeah yes. I, I
0: did watch that uh same video yeah that was really yeah. cool find
1: yeah if i thought that was i mean i i watched the even the slow build-up to it you know like Brendan and Ian playing on the piano. I mean, just these little (laughs) snippets of just who they are as people and, you know, like clearly like related to the band and the whole touring experience. But I mean, that, that to me, it gets at this essence of, of how do you make, how do you make these amazing recordings of such a prolific band Um, Like real and tangible and and ultimately, you know accessible to people and so I, I just it made me think of so many other elements of who they are as this collective but also what they have meant to so many people and You know, and and again, you know, I'm I'm a social worker. So I'm like, I'm I'm like dissecting it from this humanistic perspective, like the whole time. And I'm thinking about like, wow, I wonder who was there for the sound check. Because, you know, there are always people who are around for a sound check, especially if you know that you're going to be going to see Fugazi later on and like that day or that night. And you might know someone who works at the venue that they were playing at. Oh, yeah, you're going to you're going to want to be there for the sound check and how powerful of an experience in memory that is from people who were there you know
0: oh shoot my oh no my microphone holder <laughs> it broke what kind of a what crappy mic holder is this oh, oh no oh, no i might have to switch back to my old mic <laughs> yeah for listeners my uh mic holder thing seems to have broken and and now I have reverted to using my old microphone. Uh, it's the old comforting Ian James Wright voice you uh, you know and have come to uh, be familiar with through the course of this podcast. So I'm back. And what were we talking about, Rachel?
1: Oh, what were we talking about? I know you told me to remember, and I think <laughs> I got I like I like I fell into the the like the tumbleweeds of thinking about you I was like imagining what the experience was like of going to inner ear and getting the mic that collapsed on you like so <laughs> so, so so I was I have no idea what we were talking about we were talking about the washington video and who was at like what that experience oh, of being yeah. at a sound check is like
0: i love those kind of experiences and like i i guess you know over the years that's something you've been privileged to do a lot like just in the course of playing with different bands on different bills
1: yeah that is um oh there's just nothing like it you know there there are so many components to to a show yeah. you know i mean there's uh, all the all the preparation you do like in advance of that and and whatnot, but, and then traveling to a different town or city, um, the load in, uh, just setting everything up, meeting the other bands that you may or may not know that are also on the bill. Um, but then once you actually, I feel like, I feel like uh, the sound check is for me, it's always been that that experience and an opportunity to, um, kind of calm those nerves before the actual like live event yeah um and i always especially being a violinist you know i i always played through an amp you know i had a had a pickup mic on my violin i played through an amp and um for the most part people would um they wouldn't say like oh just plug straight into the monitor like that's just how we're going to do it because if if in a if and when that ever happened, I think it happened maybe you know two or three times throughout playing different shows over the years. Um, like I, I could never ever hear what I sounded like. Like you need to be oh, able no. to like yeah. running through a system and then be able to, you know, hear from the monitors like on the stage to to get a sense of the flow and whatnot.
0: What well, the main thing that brings to mind is when I was living in New York City. I I lived in um, I guess Greenpoint at the time. And one mm-hmm. time just walking home, I guess I was probably like walking from Williamsburg north to Greenpoint, past this like sort of warehouse space kind of thing. And there was music coming from it. There was like sort of a garage door thing, and it, but it was open a few feet, like three feet, let's say. And there were a few people like sitting cross-legged on the ground looking through the door. And I go over there and I take my place among them. And it was um the dirty projectors were in there like doing a practice set, doing this whole like long rehearsal set, and it was just great. And, like there was nobody else in there except for the band, uh, but they were you know f- full on like you know professional festival sound quality or whatever. And uh, it was just one of those magical New York moments. It was like okay, this is happening now. This is part of my day. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, really special. <laughs> Back to sophisticated find though. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what else did did I want to say about the music here? Um. I like how you know you you were talking about um the the bass and the drums and there's some interesting little rhythmic parts here like for example I like how like right before when Ian comes in and uh, and at the very end there's kind of this part that's like da 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 and mm-hmm. that's like it's not a triplet what would it be like a dotted half note or dotted eighth note like every Every note lasts three beats, that kind of thing, and mm. it's. I just love when Fugazi does that kind of thing. It's. It has this nice, um, you know, contrast against the sort of four-four background going on.
1: Yeah, definitely, it has this it has this punctuation to to the song, you know, and then yeah. and then on the album, you know. So I I I can't re I can't I hope I'm remembering this correctly. I feel like. Cifist and Fine is the if so if you had it on cassette it's the first when you flip over the cassette it's the first song on the, when you flip it over that's how I remember it
0: I think you're right um, yeah.
1: and so and then the this the, the sequencing so like there's also you know, the other interesting thing about just that song is also like the song before the song immediately after and the song immediately after just I mean there's not even you can't even catch a breath i mean it's like it comes in so quickly that it doesn't give you this um doesn't it almost doesn't give you a chance to just like sit with the music and like because there's so many different elements and and parts in that song i mean just even being what a little over three minutes long it's it really packs a very powerful punch um and and with these big chunks of a, you know, like I said, at one point, like that first minute, like we could spend an hour just talking about the first minute of that song. And then there's another kind of like section of the song that I'd say is probably a solid, you know, 30 to 45 seconds. Again, it's like, it's like a, like a a different version of that first minute. Um, And, and for it to end on that sort of like, you know, like, Hey, we're almost done. You know, (laughs) it kind of has that feel to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a huge admirer of songs that pack in a lot of, like, not only um, different parts, but that are all really good. And I think this is a song like that. Uh, oh,
1: yeah, it definitely is. Uh,
0: especially, like, that, that last part um, where Guy's sing- singing, you got it, you got it. It's it's almost cathartic. Like it's one of these songs where it's like chugging along on ten, and it's sort of like the band is like, "Well, how do we how do we crank this up to eleven at this point?" And that's how they did it. Like all of a sudden, it gets even more catchy, more rhythmic, more danceable. Um, and, and man, what what a way to end a song! It's really cool. Well, it,
1: it's it is, and it makes me think about you know i think both on the recording of the song but even live versions of the song as well there's you know the the drums are so tight they're so precise and then you've got the guitars i i'd say even to some extent on the recording which it's it sounds perfect um but there it's real um the, the potential to be out of sync is really really high and so yeah. on live on live versions of the song they're definitely just they're, i don't want to say all over the place but they're you know they're it's, it's off kilter if you will and then at the very end it's like they're all they're all in sync i mean it's kind of it's like the thing that you sometimes um hope uh, and you feel when you're playing when you're playing live and you're just like all right like we need to start we need to all be on the same page when we start it can be kind of a cluster for the next three minutes but we at least <laughs> need to like end it on the same note you know like i could i could i could almost feel some of what it probably felt like to play that song and yeah. you know live you know what i mean
0: yeah absolutely you're totally right it it all locks in together like they're, they sort of like okay, they're sort of like okay let's Let's put an end to the fancy stuff for a few bars, and let's all just lock in and rock out together.
1: One of the things that we that I know we need to talk about are the lyrics, and there are so many Fugazi songs that I feel like the the either the the immediate meaning or the undercurrents of some of the meanings are. Um, are, are just, they're exciting to, to attribute to whatever was happening maybe at that time. So, you know, I'm thinking about like in on the kill taker. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I remember feeling like this is, this is, it felt like one of the first real like activist political albums I had heard, like explicitly, like from pretty much start to finish and, yeah. um, hints of that, of course, in, on a steady diet, um but with repeater it's it's a little more nuanced you know i at least i i i remember it being nuanced i i remember being so much more um gravitated towards the actual music and and it's almost as if the lyrics were um you know they were they were in the passenger seat mm-hmm. and the you know i've read some of the things about what people think this song is about and i i just um it might be worth talking about because I, I have a hard time believing I, and I really think it comes down to like believing that this song is about drug use. It, it feels too, that feels too, way too obvious. Hmm. And I almost, I, it could be, and I could be very much wrong in everything I'm, I'm saying and about to say, <laughs> but I almost feel like there's a, like, there's a, there's a cleverness in, in the lyrics that, um, that just, it, it just, it makes me think about, uh, it makes me think about, you know, like, like the, the sim part of the, just even like the word, if you like, if you just take that word and come up with what are the different meanings of that word? So not even in the context of the hyphenated title to the song, the way it's used in the song. Um, it I get more of a sense of like, like, like what a waste, you know, like what a waste to like, to let information like pass by or Mm -hmm. to like, you've learned all these things and like, you don't even, you don't even care. Like you aren't even invested in it. Like, I, I, like that's the vibe that I pick up on this song more than, more than like an explicit like heroin or drug use or substance use or abuse kind of, kind of, you no know, vibe i'm curious like what you what you think but also like what you what you know if you, if you know anything like definitive on the meaning of the song
0: i don't know anything definitive so uh <laughs> as as usual my proviso with this show is uh i'm i'm not an authority on this this is uh, just my <laughs> just my personal musings and my interpretations um but yeah i actually i never um I never thought this was, was about drugs, and I am unaware of of people interpreting it that way. Actually, to me, it's just there's something very, um, very archetypal about the lyrics in the way that they are about grasping for something and losing it. Um, perhaps you know, perhaps you know, endless striving to get something and not being able to get it, or possibly getting it, but losing something more important in the process and that seems like such a um i don't know there there's so many things that came to mind like one thing when i was thinking of this song honestly the first thing that came to mind was the movie the treasure of the sierra madre have you seen that Mm,
1: yeah it's been a long time but yeah
0: yeah it's it's been a while for me too but yeah these people are hunting for gold and um it's It's one of those classic things where the I think it's three guys or something, and they they get this golden, but they turn on each other and at least one of them dies, and it's just it's it ends badly, and I think that's such a sort of common tale um and I wonder <laughs> it didn't occur to me until you were talking about just the word sieve by itself, but I wonder if that's partly because of i don't know panning for gold makes me think of a sieve <laughs> and um yes but in in any case to me this song is always more about greed for material things and mm. of that can be extended in lots of ways and it can be easy to make this song into a song about drugs in in i guess a similar way um but yeah that's it for me
1: yeah oh that's that's a uh, that's a that's an interpretation that i that i like better than uh than than anything related to to drugs, because it, because again, it just it feels like ah, like would 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 Fugazi really go there? I don't know if they would. Like maybe like in a commentary at a live show, like absolutely, absolutely, you know. Mm. But um, but in a in a in a song, and then just the just the the tension that is felt in the actual music of the song and again like the way that the bass comes in the 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 just the percussiveness of brendan's drums at different times um i just i i still i i keep going back to just how how profound and central um joe's bass is in this song i mean to me it is especially this this is a song that is meant to be listen to full blast when you're driving on like lakeshore drive in chicago you know i mean (laughs) it's just like it is just i i I remember that that like you have no sense of how fast you're going and and you don't even care Mm -hmm. if you are going faster you're about to get in trouble it's like the song will protect you somehow you know (laughs) um
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, a, I, aka a dangerous song to listen to when driving <laughs> yes i know the type
1: do you remember that feeling though like when you were like listening to music and especially driving you know i didn't i didn't have a car in high school i didn't get a car until like you know well into well into adulthood and and so i was always re- i was always in the passenger seat and reliant on that friend but i was often the person who would i mean i was the dj you know so i was the one who would who would either put the CD in or like in in the early early days like you know, pick the cassette um, and sometimes you had to flip it over. Like it didn't automatically flip in a, in a car stereo. And, and just knowing like what music you wanted to be listening to as you were on, you know, for us, you know, growing up in central Illinois, as you're, as you're on these long drives to your Indianapolis for a show or Chicago mm-hmm. for a show. I mean, just that, that experience of getting there and then arriving was all part of that experience.
0: For me, uh, Fairfax County Parkway in Northern Virginia, thats <laughs> it's not a big road, and it's not a road you're supposed to drive fast on, but for some reason that's the road I associate with uh, listening to loud fugazi on. Nice. Continuing on my, my thoughts about, you know, first I thought about Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Next thing I thought about was actually a line from Star Wars, where uh, in the beginning of that film, Princess Leia says to Grand Moff Tarkin, The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Um, That popped into my head, and I went back. Apparently, it's been a while since I've seen Star Wars, too, because I went back and watched that cliff. And, man, Carrie Fisher's doing this insane English accent in that part that she apparently decided not to do for the rest of the movie because oh, oh my what? god <laughs> like you have to re-listen to it I'm like what is she oh, doing Oh my goodness
1: I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to find this like I'm like okay do I have <laughs> do I have time on Central Illinois time to to do that either before or after my daughter goes to sleep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um and uh, the the third thing that popped into my head was the old uh, Aesop's fable about the you know the the sun and the wind getting into a contest about who can make the man remove his cloak where the uh mm. the, the wind is very boastful and says oh, i'm i'm so powerful i can i'll blow as hard as i can and the wind blows and blows the man just clings harder to his cloak uh but the sun simply uh shines gently and the man voluntarily removes his cloak because it's nice and warm out so um yeah I, the combination of all those things is like this the song is saying something about um trying to obtain some kind of prize through force or ruthlessness or obsessiveness um but uh, sort of being hoisted by your own petard and losing the thing that you were going for
1: mm. as i'm hearing you talk about it and talk about the lyrics you know i'm thinking there's that there's the phrasing or the first two lines of the lyrics, you know, here comes another problem all wrapped up in a solution. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, who, I, who knows, I wish I could, I could go back in time and, and pull out those memories and those thoughts and those feelings of like what I thought those lyrics meant back then. But I, you know, reliving so much of this and remembering some of these different moments of where I was, where I was when I was listening to the song or the song was playing or um, either, either driving with friends or um, being in someone's apartment and listening to the song or, uh, you know, it, there was so much music in in cars when you're driving around. Um, you know, I, I think about what is this, like, what does this song mean to me now? You know, now as someone who's a designer and a social worker and spends most of my day doing like research on like, essentially like social justice causes, you know, mm-hmm. things that Fugazi would be like <laughs> proud that people are doing, you know, like, you know, once they you know grow out of their, uh, their punk rock phases, you know, uh, like it's, it's, it wasn't a phase. It's like, it's, it's, it's kind of remained. And so I, I think about the, I think about the lyrics and like, what does that mean? What does that mean now? Like if mm-hmm. I, if I had, if I could, erase the memory of having having this song as a reference point at you know decades ago at this point um i I would definitely pick up on some type of a a knowledge or design element with with the wording um and again like the just the use of the word red um red red and uh, the multiple interpretations of of the word red. So I think about I think this is where some of that knowledge reference comes into play for me. Um, and and this almost this like how dare you you know have the wherewithal to to learn and to be able to problem solve and and to maybe do certain things and then and then you you just you squander it. I mean, there's like there's an element of like of giving up on something that I feel is, is ever present in the song. So it could be giving up on uh, a thing or a person or yourself. Um, Hmm. That I, that I feel like is, is a, I could, I could see that being a a spirit of what they were um, kind of thinking and feeling. um, And, and at least, you know, what Guy was thinking and feeling when he, when he wrote this song.
0: Just because I th- this occurred to me just now, as you were saying, the multiple meanings of, of red and pushing past the red, um, I'm not sure exactly what you were thinking, but uh, for me, it brings to mind two things right away, which is, first of all, like, you know, recording in, in, in music, um, th- you're sort of monitoring your sound levels, and if you're, like, sort of in the black, it's good, but, you know, if you're into the red, then you're clipping, and that's, like, not good for sound quality, so mm. that comes to mind immediately like pushing past the red like just I don't know as as a rock band going crazy um, but th- it's also something in uh, like in finances if you're in the black you're good but in the red you are in debt of some kind and that certainly jives with the meaning of this song if you're pushing past the red like you have you're losing whatever you were hoping to gain
1: I I don't know I I feel like there's there's something there's something in what in what we're deciphering from it that I feel like is is up against what the song at least the words of the song like what they what they meant because I do feel like I feel like the lyrics mean one thing and the music like means something else. Yeah. I think I think they're interconnected but they they feel like two very separate experiences to me like the, like the words almost, I, I mean, it, it reads, it reads like a poem and it has a very poetic kind of feel to it. If you just looked up the, uh, which I think a lot of, a lot of like songs, I mean, think about, you know, I've got, I have, I have Bob and Braid on my mind because I listened to Bob's um, recording with you earlier today. And then just thinking about um, so many Braid songs and, and being there when Bob was writing so many of those songs back in 1993, 94 and just, you know his his, just his the artful way that you come up with words to be clever but also have these hidden meanings and uh but then to always go back and to try to be clever I mean it's like the great um it's the great puzzle for anyone who is a fan of someone's music is to try to understand like well well, what did this mean like 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 you want you want to decipher it all and I um which I, I you know, I. I definitely um still do that uh, and I still do that with with music that I probably a lot of it that I do know the meaning of it, but like you try to piece different elements together or maybe it means different things from different places and, and different people. but then there's that um, but there's also that emotion that that emotion that is so strongly evoked from the actual music. And you know again, um, the if, if there's if there's anything with this song that if I had a, if I had a top 10, you know, the first minute of this song is in the top 10. It's just, it's a lifetime top 10. It's just, it's that powerful.
0: Speaking of clever lyrics too. I mean, the one that you cited here comes another problem all wrapped up in solution that strikes me as so clever. Like it it seems to me that it's a way of saying, well, here comes a thing that seems good, but is actually turns out to be bad and mm-hmm. like to me taking that concept and winding up by phrasing it that way here comes another problem all wrapped up in solution that's super clever like tip of the hat to gee on that one because that's that's a little little bit of genius i think
1: oh yeah well and think about i mean think about the you know i didn't grow up in dc like I, i've been to dc like I, you know like dozens of times at this point um, and a lot of it for various uh, ironically like activist oriented work over the years and so like, think about like you know when was the song written you know it was most likely written in what 1989 maybe 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 88 but most likely 89 maybe i don't know i don't know when in 1990 um uh the album came out actually i don't know the release date um of repeater but mm-hmm. you know like Reagan was president, um, and then just what was the what was the, the the consciousness of what was going on in the country at that time? I mean, I, I again like there there has to be some kind of like connection to just the 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 culture of the day and the political you know kind of mind of the of that time.
0: The first time it was played, according to the Fugazi Live Series website, was March twenty fourth, nineteen eighty nine. So mm. there's a bit of an answer for you, maybe, yeah, um yeah that's that's always very interesting to think about for me too um i that's it's like sort of before my political consciousness was online, so it it's it's hard or impossible for me to transport myself back to that um but I will say something that I like about this song is that it's very easy to read this as either political or. Kind of personal like on one hand it seems Like a partner song to something like Greed um, at least Mm. In in the way that I'm interpreting the lyrics um, Where Where Guy is sort of talking about sort of like drawing a character of, of some kind of greedy businessman who's you know striving for wealth and losing what's really important in life or whatever um but it it could absolutely be about a feeling he's felt in his own life um trying to obtain something and it just could be a very personal song um it's hard to know and it's easy to read um either way and that's part of what i like about the ambiguity in this uh, this particular set of lyrics
1: mm. well it's, it's funny that you mentioned you know the you know the the you know either personal or political, and and I think you know this definitely came much more explicitly in later albums. So it was definitely coming in with um, like uh, God on and on you know not in on the Kill Taker, but on Steady Diet, and then it was way more explicit on and on the Kill Taker. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think for them, the personal was and still is political and how do you you know how do you how do you separate that you know so do you have that in just your um your music life your your social life um do you how do you how do you transform that into other aspects of what you do and and i i think if there's anything that i can look back on and appreciate especially at this stage in my life you know to be this you know, this, this aging, but still kind of young, younger general <laughs> Xer. Uh i I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to the, the, the younger general Xer um part of it. I mean, that, it, I, I feel like, I feel like Fugazi as a band made it okay to, to not separate those two. That, you know, that no, like, you know, you can, you know, like, this is, this is like a way of life. I mean, this is, this is, this is a way of how you, define how you're going to see the world and they used music as a very powerful tool to uh, you know just instill in people but to encourage them to to find that um I don't know to find that depth in that I I mean I I I guess I think about so much of my own uh, you know the the development of so much of my own like social consciousness and and being an activist, you know, even in high school, but it definitely took on a whole other level when I was in college. And then, you know, jobs that I worked after college and work that I do now, you know, several years later, I mean, Mm. they, they have these explicit roots to, to like, to what it was they were, they were speaking to and what they, what they lived and what they continue to live.
0: Something I wanted to say before I forget is (laughs) and and I don't know if there's um much worth in telling the story because of course nobody's going to know the music that I'm talking about but uh what is this podcast if not uh, just people's personal reactions to the music um <laughs> which is so I was I joined a band uh, at some point in like the mid 2000s uh, as a bass player and uh this they're showing me this one song how to how to play this one song and there's this bass part that was like not a lot of different notes but the rhythmic figure was a little bit tricky maybe and uh it apparently it took their previous bass player just forever to learn it so they were showing it to me and i was like all right i i think i got it so the drummer counted it off we did that one part and i sort of nailed it on the first try and and they were like oh wow that was that was great awesome okay and <laughs> so it's it's one of those moments like heaven knows there's I've had plenty of humbling moments in music that made me feel like not worth much. Uh, but this is one where I like, I felt very good about it. I felt like I'm good at this and my peers that I respect, uh, think I'm good at it. And it's just one of those nice memories to have, but re-listening to Civ Fisted Find, it occurs to me that what Joe is doing in, um, the, the part where he is singing, please let me get my hands on it. Um, Pretty similar to that part in the song that I was playing with mm. this band, and it makes me wonder. I like. I wonder if I was able to nail that because I had been listening to Fugazi for so long and was so familiar with the way they played and the way and the things that Joe did. So, uh, yeah. If so, thanks, Joe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we should we should always thank Joe. You know, Joe. Yeah. Joe is. Uh, I, I i you know i i love I love all of them in the band I really do, and I think at different times i've I've had like you know you know slight favoritism for like one over another um but i but I have to say, I think just Joe's style, so the way that he plays, but also the way that he performs is uh is very has always been very consistent you know like the the most animated people in the band are obviously like Ian and Guy. I mean and sometimes like Gee just like times a thousand and and when i um you know when, when you and i were emailing back and forth i think i emailed you some of the photos that i took at the
0: you did at yeah. the
1: 93 show i mean it's I, I clearly had the purview of being on that side of the stage where where Gee was playing but he was he was so fun to photograph at the same time yeah. and you know Joe kind of boring to photograph but i mean but but definitely like i i admired him in such a such a different kind of a way
0: speaking of sort of like one band member versus another band member which is like i think most of the time the main thing about Fugazi is they were just so strong as a unit but something that i always think about with this song is like I feel like Ian steals the show a little bit. Um, that may be overstating the case because, I mean, all the stuff Guy is doing on this song is really great. But I think when I just think of this song, the first thing that comes to mind is Ian's little part where he's just playing his rhythmic guitar and singing this catchy, Siv-Fisted Find, You Find Nothing. Um, and it, I, I love the, the melody in his voice, uh, the way he delivers it, this this heavy rhythm guitar that sounds like a fucking attack helicopter um, yeah it's like I I love that part it's it's really great so um, and it's one of those you know sometimes uh, in a lot of Fugazi songs you get one backing up the other but in a few songs like this one it's like one is the star for a lot of the show uh, a lot of the song and then there's one part where the other guy gets to sort of take over for his little part Um, I love that. It's it's just it's something you don't get with a lot of bands. And there were so there were such different sort of singers that I, I just love it when that happens.
1: That is funny. So I feel like we might this might have to be debated on on the podcast page because I feel like Joe is the one who steals the show in the whole in the whole song.
0: And oh I f- <laughs> yeah i I just meant in terms of like you know for most of it it's like gee writing the song and singing, and then Ian pops in with this tiny little part, but I'm like, oh, that's yeah. that's sort of just the part that I tend to remember
1: you know what you know what that part also reminds me of, and again, like I know I know I've mentioned Bob a few times and braid, um but it it that part definitely made me think about some of that um I wouldn't call it call and response, but I can't think of a different phrase right now, but that sort of um, that 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 echoing that a second person in a band like or a second you know front front person and especially a second singer in a band would sometimes do. It's almost like you know I think about um, you know was was did Ian have that part at that stage in the song to like relieve Gee for a minute to like catch his <laughs> breath, regroup. You know, I mean, yeah, think yeah. about it. You know, like there's there's that kind of like synergy, and especially with this being one of the first one of the first songs that Guy explicitly wrote with the band and performed with the band, like playing guitar on it and all that. I mean, I I could see where that would be like, okay, like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm imagining that they're like, "Okay, I'm going to be super exhausted at this point. Like, you know, I need you to like come in and like so I can like regroup as we like, you know, punctuate the end of the song." And it's it's kind of funny to think about them being like that um methodical about it, which I highly doubt that they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to think about. It's fun to imagine like what that might have been like.
0: Yeah, I like to imagine that kind of stuff also. And it reminds me of one of the I think at least one of the um video examples I watched of them playing this live um is they would get to that part leading up to when Ian would sing and they would just sort of stop for I don't know 5 seconds or something and there'd just be this little pause and then Ian finally like does his you know rhythm guitar thing and starts singing and it's it's just one of those moments they added to their live shows that um partially gave them, you know, a few seconds to take a breath, but also heighten the drama a little bit, uh, and it really oh, works yeah. well.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it definitely does.
0: Um, well, let's see. I think that might be uh, sort of getting to the end of what I had to say about the song um, before we move into uh, the, the features that conclude this show. Um, so, why don't I ask you about that in a segment we call Ratings? Gina! I think I can uh, predict probably where you're going with this, but you know,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. What do you think for one to five stars? Siv-fisted find.
1: Ooh. Okay. So I'm going to answer this in two different ways. Um, the first being again, like we've talked about the first like 60 ish seconds of the song, like a, a few different times over the past hour. I'd say that first minute hands down solid five, if not like, you know, a ten. It's that's a solid five. I think the different elements of the song, when you look at it as a whole, I think I'd give it. Mm, I I am a consistently high high grader and rater, so um, I think I'm going to give it like a four point four.
0: Very interesting because I think what I would say about the song is what I really like about it. I think in the in the final analysis is that Sivfist did find sort of bridges and like synthesizes a lot of Fugazi's best qualities as we said like the personal and the political but also the sort of dissonant and the beautiful the rhythmic and the melodic just this sort of the gi and the ian of it all right um and they all come into play in this song um there are a lot of really cool different parts um and it all comes together very well um, all that said it's not like if somebody comes up to me and says hey rattle off some of the best Fugazi songs it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't quite spring to mind um, so it doesn't get that that like highest rating for me but I think um, just shy of it so I, I think I'll go I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna say 4.4 with you I was gonna say 4.5 but you know I like settling on uh, 4.4 with you makes <laughs> me uh, makes me feel like we're good friends.
1: I love it. I know it's like I why like why couldn't I get four point five like four point <laughs> 4. four felt felt accurate. You know, yeah.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that for sure. Um, let me uh, let's see. Let me talk about a few of the uh, the comments that people left on the alphabetical fugazi Facebook page. I think we have a first time commenter in Miki Cordona from Spain. I'm going to just say verbatim here. For me, this one is having all the best Fugazi ingredients, incredible turbo dub baseline together with the Charles sound like a 70s action series tune, noisy sonic youth-like guitars, touchy crying from Gee, and memorable Ian melody, impossible to avoid to sing it as soon as you hear the title. Um, Yeah, I think there's a lot in there uh, that that I was definitely agreeing with.
1: Oh, yeah. Hands down. That's it. That's a great summary. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Rob Reginio said, one of my favorites played live. When Joe and Brendan come in shortly after Guy's guitar intro, the live crowd would usually go apeshit, as would I. It's yep. important. It's interesting how Gee would normally change the first lyric to something like, we'll see you all soon, instead of the normal, another civ find. Bradford Goodwin um, has a really interesting comment here. Um, you know, I was tell- saying how the first thing I thought of was tre- Treasure of the Sierra Madre, etc., where um, he says, I'm struck by the fact that all three words of the song title are cognates with the German, both sieve, uh, fist, and find. Um, Fist uh, equates to Faust. Uh, Faust is German for fist. And he says, most will know the legend of Faust who sold his soul to the devil in exchange for unlimited knowledge and carnal pleasures. Faust sacrificed his principles for personal gain with tragic results. These themes are sprinkled all over repeater, particularly in this song, which could almost Mm. be read as a retelling of Faust as a heroin addict. But devil's handshakes always end badly and grasping at solutions that make more problems is no way to fill an inner void, especially when the real problem is the self, which can never be sated. Faust learned this the hard way. So did Robert Johnson and Dorian Gray. Fugazi offers a way out and escape from the cycle that's built on music and community for their own sake. Still, I gotta ask, did Guy strike a Faustian bargain that enabled him to play guitar on this song and finally feel like a full-fledged member of the band? Maybe on one of those early European tours at a crossroads somewhere in Germany. Only the devil knows. (laughs) But if you're seeking transcendence, here are three minutes and 24 seconds of it. Don't waste them. Wow. A-level comment from Bradford there
1: a A level comment i mean that feels like i feel like i just earned a phd in fugazi like from like from you know i saw the comment and and i wondered if it would be one that you would read that is that just touches on so so many different things again like getting at getting below you know the mile wide and an inch deep surface i mean there's always this hidden not even hidden like we know that there's this depth in all of their songs we know it
0: yeah that's a tough act to follow. Who's going to come next? Um, let's go with uh, Andrew Crippen. He says, To me, Siv-Fisted Fine, Greed, and Two Beats Off all go together. Uh, I think this is really where the band really started to excel at sequencing album tracks. Siv's yeah. vocals always vaguely reminded me of Perry Farrell and Jane's Addiction, and I love the way Joe's bass zigzags and weaves through the song's end. R.W. Swanson says, Musically, the riff in the song Break is just a reprise of Siv-Fisted Fine's, but never quite reaches its apex to me as with most of repeater siv is fugazi firing on all cylinders uh that's a very you know it never occurred to me but absolutely break and sophisted find are really sort of akin to each other um and mm-hmm. a- after i um after i saw his comment one of the um one of the videos i found of them uh was sort of them playing break and then sophisted find back to back so i wonder if they were sort of feeling that vibe too um Junter Hobbits has a couple of interesting things to say. Uh, first of all, he says this is one that could be about surrendering or submitting to something or someone only to figure out eventually that it's nothing but a distraction that takes away from what really matters, be it in the way of drugs, firmly held beliefs, or whatever, whatever it is that floats your boat at any given time. Um, he also says that... Uh, Gee would oftentimes interject a cryptic Marilyn Monroe reference at the beginning of sif Fine during live performances, um, not usually something to the lines of, I said it was true, I fuck like Marilyn Monroe. And according to Gee, the Marilyn Monroe thing on sif would certainly have been an allusion to the song My Mother Looked Like Marilyn Monroe by Tommy Keene. Our producer Ted Nicely was his bass player, and he had played in the band The Raz, which was one of the first local bands I saw when I was super young. I was a big fan of his stuff and loved that song particularly. And uh, yeah, that's that's a great addition, Junter, and I took a listen to that Tommy Keene song. It's a real catchy number. I'll put it in the show notes. I uh, encourage people to have a listen and uh, hear the bass stylings of Friend of the Show, Ted Nicely. So, Rachel Dietkis, let me ask you if you have any plugs. Never. And, uh, be that in the form of where listeners can reach you online or do you have any projects you're currently working on or even projects in the past that you would uh, like people to check out?
1: Yeah. So this is, um, these are, these are, there are two things that come to mind. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning when you, when you introduced me that, uh, that I'm a social worker. And so I, I am, I am immersed in the world of design, so I do. I'm a social worker who does design research, so that's um, uh, the the kind of my main thing that I do right now. Um, so I I try to work with other social workers who are also working on design based projects, and uh, have a, a company called Social Workers Who Design. Um, so I, I mentioned it because I think it'd be it'd be interesting to see if there are just people in the universe that um, you know as we have these music identities like what are these other parts of us that help define us as well and so that's a it's a big big thing that I do and then my um you know my old band Very Secretary we are we're kind of in the process of um we're going to be releasing a vinyl version of the second album that we did called Standing in the Shade um it originally came out on Mud Records back in either 98 or 99 and you know back then most of the music that came out was on CD and it was these are the early early days of digital music there was I think I think I'm remembering e-music as something that was um, that we never thought would ever stick how how funny that is now Um, but we always wanted a vinyl release of Standing in the Shade and like over the years we just we would have loved to have had um, that version of the album, and so um, someone who uh, did the artwork and the photography, uh, Chris Strong, who has done a number of great photographs. He probably the one that he's um, he's most known for in the music world is the the American Football House. It's here in Urbana, actually, not too far from where I live and um, he's going to be doing the uh, he's going to take a a photograph of the original painting that the singer and guitarist dave did um, on the album so um so yeah this is something that it's probably going to be coming out we hope in uh 2022 so i think those are the those are the the two cool things that i would that i would plug
0: when that comes out you know i noticed that you just um joined up uh the facebook group uh the alphabetical fugazi so uh, whenever you have like an actual link for that, feel free to you know drop it in the group to the listeners. You are welcome to spam your stuff there, as far as I'm concerned. That's a privilege that all my former guests are free to abuse, I think.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I, I appreciate that invite.
0: <laughs> so yeah, listeners, you can join that Facebook group, too. You are invited, as the dismemberment plan once said. And you're also invited to email me at fugazihz at gmail.com. I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing Smallpox Champion. Until then, keep your eyes open.